Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Matt, and my good friend Andrew and I will be very animated as we discuss this animated episode of Star Trek. Andrew, how are you doing? Not bad, Matt. And I mean, we're going to go a step further even. We are down in the bowels of Random Trek Review. We are on the uh, the lower decks, if you will. Uh, with some menial jobs, you know, scrubbing the deck plating and cleaning toilets with uh, toothbrushes, you know, or maybe I should say cleaning sonic showers with toothbrushes. Are you looking forward to that? If it means we get to talk about the series lower decks, I will gladly crawl through Jeffrey's tubes, talk about some lower decks. All right. Well, we have uh, drawn for you uh, two weeks back uh, No Small Parts, which, of course, was not just a Lower Decks episode. It was the season one finale to Lower Decks. Um, Just kind of going back quickly to your recall, which I don't think I need to spend a whole ton of time on. Um, You pretty much aced this one. You had the fact that it was a pack-led vessel, uh, which you even then dropped the Samaritan Snare, which was the original, or sorry, the uh, TNG uh, episode. Uh, You knew that they had amassed different pieces from different ships to make like a super ship. Uh, They were going to grab onto the Cerritos and kind of rip it into pieces, as well as uh, it would end up in kind of shambles. Uh, You knew that the Titan made an appearance and it kind of swooped in for the save. It had Riker and it had Troy as well as guest stars by uh, Marina Sirtis and Jonathan Frakes. Uh, You knew at the end they kind of end up in the mess hall and there's kind of a little, uh, you know, Riker Mariner moment and Boimler would eventually get promoted to uh, junior lieutenant on the Titan, uh, which is pretty much everything. I would say there are two things that you kind of missed. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it already. Um, You missed that Shax dies in this one, uh, and you missed the exocomp appearance. But, I mean, those are two minor little things. This is honestly a 5 out of 5, and we are measuring this week out of contraband items. So you can pick whatever five pieces of contraband items you'd like. I'll just take five bottles of Romulan. Oh, yes, exactly. (laughs) And I'll start consuming them right now. Indeed. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're talking about Lower Deck, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, this uh, this podcast. It is from Season 1. It's Episode 10, as Andrew mentioned, the season finale. It originally aired all the way back on October 8, 2020. And it features special guest stars Jonathan Frakes as Captain Riker and Marina Sirtis as Commander Troy. Also on the guest cast is Kether Donahue as Peanut Hamper, Jack McBrayer as Badgie, Paul Shear as Andy Billups, and then there's uh, Rich Fulcher, Kerry Walgren, Mirren Dungy, Nolan North, Ryan Ridley, Neil Casey, and Echo Kellum also on the guest cast. They don't really specify who does what, and I suspect maybe they all sort of voiced multiple characters. Uh, the episode was written by Mike McMahon and directed by Barry J. Kelly. 
And just in case you didn't get a chance to check it out in the last two weeks, I'll give you a quick synopsis. After cleaning up a mess left by the TOS era Enterprise, the Cerrito, invest the Cerrito investigates a distress call from its sister ship, the Solvang. While en route, Tendi serves as orientation liaison to an exocomp named Peanut Hamper, Rutherford cycles through the personality modes on his cybernetic implant, and Boiler and Mariner both try for a promotion. The Cerritos finds the wreckage of the Solvang and comes under attack by a large warship. It turns out to be the Packleds, who have cobbled together a massive ship with other ship pieces. On the verge of destruction, Boimler and Mariner decide to plant a computer virus to disable the Packled vessel. While the ship is overrun by Packleds, Shax is able to get Rutherford on board the Packled ship to plant the virus, with some help from Badgie. The Packled ship is destroyed, but three more warp in to finish the job. Fortunately, the Titan was nearby and arrives just in time to scare off the bewildered Packlets. Both ships return to base, and while repairs, repairs to the Cerritos are underway, Riker and Troy come aboard to hang out with the Cerritos crew. Boimler ends up getting promoted to lieutenant and is assigned to the Titan, much to his friend Mariner's chagrin. Even though this is a fairly recent episode, there isn't really a lot of background or developments info that's out there. And I think maybe part of that is also because it's an animated show. And so there isn't really a lot of, I mean, obviously there's the story development, but there isn't really a whole lot else. Um, the one thing that I thought was kind of neat was that the title comes from the phrase, there are no small parts, only small actors. Um, did that sort of did did you pick up on that when you when we drew this one out of the hat a couple of weeks I ago? I did not actually, and in fact, I didn't bother to even look it up. So until about like two and point five seconds ago, I didn't actually know that that's where it came from. Um, I've heard that phrase before. Uh, I don't necessarily think I know what it means. I guess the the idea is is that you know even the background characters or the minor characters are, are still important i guess is is the gist of it um i think it fits nicely for the season finale of this show because it's all about the underling people well i'm glad you have an idea of what the phrase means because i don't really understand it but i think you're right and i think it is fitting because uh the show is all about the sort of background uh characters rather than the main characters so it's it is quite fitting i think yeah, no, def definitely. Okay, a couple of just sort of, this is almost trivia stuff, but I think it is pretty cool. Number one, Jonathan Frakes is the only regular series cast member to appear in six different Star Trek series. Isn't that crazy? I was actually just kind of thinking about it uh, while this point came up. Uh, where would you rank this appearance? And I mean, obviously it's not fair because of like the number of appearances that he had kind of across the, the different things. But uh, where would you rank this if you had to put all six into order? I think that we'd have to pretty much say that the next generation is number one, obviously. Um, where would this one fit kind of after that? Because, I mean, in Voyager, I think it's really just that one scene from when Q brings him in. Uh, in Deep Space Nine, he plays not even Will Riker. I think it's just when he plays Thomas Riker uh, in, in that episode, Defiant. Uh, I think that his appearance in Enterprise is one that a lot of people don't like uh, and don't love. It didn't even happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, Matt is like uh, that guy on the Cerritos that thinks that uh, Wolf 859 was an inside job. He doesn't think that uh, Jonathan Frakes <laughs> was on Enterprise. Uh, Picard, he does the swoop in, and then obviously this episode here, like, where would it rank for you anyway? 
Well, I would probably start at the bottom and say his appearance in Enterprise was awful, and producers of that show ought to be ashamed of themselves for that series finale. That was awful. I would say his Voyager appearance was very brief, and therefore I, you can't really say much about it. I, I feel like, I mean, I have a soft spot for Defiant. I think that's a really good episode, so I'm maybe a little bit biased. I would maybe put him this appearance in Lower Decks right in the middle with his appearance in Picard. Yeah, I think that I would actually probably go, if I'm going bottom up, I would definitely say Enterprise, Voyager. Then I think I would put the Picard one. I feel like this one uh, is is better than, than that. Um, and it would actually be kind of a toss-up for me anyway um, between kind of the... the the Defiant episode or or this one um, in kind of like, let's call it like the 2-3 spot. Um, but, I mean, yeah, potato, potato. Uh, I think we're kind of right on board with the lower two ones. And then I think Picard has got to be kind of down in that lower half for me as well. Uh, and Marina Sirtis, she's kind of uh, one of the people who shows up. Uh, this is her fifth different series that... Uh, that she appears in um, and I mean I, I think that it's probably safe to say that you know her appearance here is probably too minute to really compare to some of the other stuff that she's done I think it's probably the same story right Enterprise at the bottom and then you'd have to go up from there whether you like the stuff she did on Voyager with Barclay or with Picard but um, yeah it's interesting I it's funny because I don't necessarily I mean, I, I get why Frakes, I guess, shows up all the time because he's always directing. It's so easy just to throw him in a uniform. Are you a little bit surprised that Marina Sirtis has been on five different shows? She needs a paycheck, I guess. I mean, it's not like she's like her schedule is full of other acting gigs. So I don't know. Maybe they just feel uh, I mean, some of them feel pretty forced and pretty like shoehorned in. So I don't know. Maybe they're it's just their way of, you know, pay, paying respect to what she did in next generation I, I don't know true but i mean like it's not like gates mcfadden and uh you know a lot of these other people are you know prime time a-list actors like they could easily get robert picardo in they could easily get robert duncan mcneil in like they could get other people but they always seem to kind of go back to to these two a lot or do you think that maybe we're just going to see those other people show up in the future well there's a lot of rumors that robert picardo is going to turn up at some point either on Discovery or Picard. So who knows? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Kate Mulgrew is going to be in Prodigy. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing more of these uh, these other uh, characters turn up in the next little while. Poor Michael Dorn. He loves Star Trek so much, and he's always trying to, to get a cameo appearance and to get in on it. And it seems like he must have, like, parked in uh, the wrong parking spot one day or something, and they just have no interest in getting that guy in there. Here's one that you might find interesting that I saw today. The actor who played, do you remember that um, Okona character who was basically like the Han Solo from... Han Solo, yeah. He apparently is going to be... The, the uh, actor that played that character has claims that he will be on Prodigy at some point. Oh, as the as the uh, the outlandish Okondan guy? I would assume... I'm definitely intrigued by Prodigy. I actually almost think that, I mean, aside from Lower Decks Season 2, that Prodigy is probably the thing that I'm most excited for coming up uh, for new Star Trek stuff. Yeah, it is an intriguing show because it is supposed to be aimed at uh, youngsters. So who knows? So who knows? Maybe we will see some of these uh, other old characters uh, 
turn up in Prodigy or, or elsewhere. Let's dive right into this. I mean, there isn't really, like I said, there isn't really a lot of development stuff. So maybe we should just get a get a get a jump on this one. Uh, the the beginning is hilarious because we get this crazy, these hilarious uh, original series and even an animated series callback here at the very beginning. They they visit this planet. What was it, Beta Twelve or something? Beta Three. I got my digits mixed up. And, you know, they go, they, they revisit this planet that was visited by Kirk and Spock all that time ago, where they, like, you know, were worshipping that computer or whatever it was, and then they, they, they Kirk and Spock got not to, and then they regressed, and, they you know, Freeman and Ransom had to go fix fix it up. I thought that was hilarious. Even, even going so far as to have, like, Kirk and Spock, their picture on the pad being the animated, from the animated series, I thought that was... Yeah, that was legendary. Yeah, that that was really good. Uh, Do you think that this is maybe too specific of a callback? I mean, I don't know how big of a fan you are of that episode, The Return of the Archons is the one with Landru, the evil computer and the zombie people living in the town. Um, Is that too specific or is it kind of like it doesn't matter because you know that, you know this is the exact kind of thing that Kirk and Spock would have been up to. And so even if you hadn't seen that specific episode, is it still funny or do you need to know that episode really specifically? I think they filled in the blanks enough that it's still pretty funny, even if you haven't seen it. Cause I believe I've seen that episode one time, but I knew exactly what they were talking about when they were talking about Landru and they beamed down and the, the computer had that like flashing light as it spoke like it, I remembered it right away. So I think even if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it much, it's still it's still funny. It still works. Yeah, and I think that they did a good job because I feel like there were a lot of episodes of the original series where there was like a supercomputer or like something of that ilk and obviously it was kind of like a town where they were wearing the, you know, period clothing or what have you and again they do that a lot so even if you just have a general knowledge i feel like it's kind of funny uh and the same thing with ransom when they comes back he actually calls it the tos area era uh which is kind of a nod to how everybody time stamps each of the different episodes and then he says those old scientists i thought that that was uh again like laughing along with us and not necessarily laughing uh at star trek or making fun of it specifically i thought that was all really good stuff yeah, and even Freeman when they're in the turbo lift and she's like, oh, why are we always going and dealing with, you know, why is there always a gamester of Triskelion, which is another original series reference. And I think she listed two or three of them deceiving people and forcing them to do silly things. And then the Enterprise fixed it up. And <laughs> it almost seems like this is a regular occurrence that they have to go clean up, you know, messes left by <laughs> Kirk and Spock and friends. Yeah, and I mean, it is kind of poking fun at the fact that, you know, Kirk and Spock and I mean, a lot of the Next Generation episodes, the Voyager episodes, obviously, it was always about kind of the first contact, setting it all up, and then they dust their hands and they drive away, and the arrogance to think that that would be good enough that like a speech from somebody who showed up like a day or before or two days before would be enough to completely change the culture, personalities and livelihoods of an entire civilization. It's kind of calling that out. And I actually kind of like that as, you know, a little bit deeper than just kind of 
uh, a goofy comedy. I think that that's a really good point and something that's never really explored that well. Uh, and, and I also like that these guys don't solve it either, really. They, they kind of band-aid it back up and, and they drive away off to the next thing, but they kind of do the same thing that they're criticizing the Enterprise for doing, which I thought was really smart. And then, of course, there's the last sort of line where uh, Ransom's like, geez, it seems like they were running into crazy things every week. <laughs> yeah exactly well it's like it's like self-parody right because they're just they're you know even lower decks was released on a weekly basis so it's just sort of poking poking fun at themselves a little bit yeah i i thought that all this stuff was really good and um i guess the next kind of little chunk is um there hasn't been a lot of con- continuity stuff in like lower decks itself but this is like the big reveal, I guess, isn't it? You might have to kind of remind me of where we're at here with with Boimler and Mariner and everybody else who are kind of left back down on the planet. Well, the whole the whole thing was they're trying to prom- promote these people like developing their own culture rather than going back to a computer for their culture. And so, oh, okay. so yeah, they're you know Mariners handing out uh, Starfleet standard issue crayons and and other sort of art supplies so that these these people can develop their own sort of art and culture and uh you know boimler sort of unexpectedly because this isn't something that you would expect from him he just sort of saunders up and she's expecting to get hit for him to like you know recite the rule book to her and all the things she's doing wrong and instead he's like grabs a thing of crayons and like here take some crayons and joins in so so where uh you know do you know where you can buy these uh starfleet crayons that they were <laughs> it, they need to put them up on the uh you know, on Star Trek.com because I feel like Starfleet crayons would just color so much nicer than kind of the Crayola stuff that you and I would be used to. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really hard, man, because, um, this show does such a good job of transitioning between things. Um, I feel like, you know, we, we have like these kind of callbacks to original series and you know there's all these little easter egg things and then we kind of cut back to mariner and boimler and we kind of have a completely different feel to their rate to their kind of relationship their kind of uh interactions but it's just so seamlessly done and um this big reveal that mariner is uh, actually the captain's daughter this was something that i think boimler had been sitting on for multiple episodes correct i think you're right yeah it was it was at least one or two if not more and so what are your thoughts on kind of blowing this big reveal uh in the teaser of the final episode well wasn't it a very cliche way that they did it where like you know it's like oh he left the phone off the hook but it was still the person was still there that kind of sort of trope or gag that they like to do and and yeah, he's he he unwittingly tells everyone on the ship that basically that Mariner is the captain's daughter. Um, I don't know if if there was really a reason why they sort of held on to that until the very end. I mean, maybe they just wanted to have the because as a result, all these people start treating her differently, and you know maybe they wanted to just have that at the end as a final sort of gag as part of the episode otherwise i don't really know why they would sort of hold on to that true yeah i mean it is kind of the thing that starts that their part of the of the story right um which i do like i just i I don't know i feel like with this series specifically they did such a good job of just kind of like slow playing certain things and then not and you know being a bit more quick with other things like i feel like this is kind of the perfect time to like 
do this reveal and then kind of like allow the episode to kind of unfold. Um, because I mean, Mariner as a character, as we watch throughout the whole season has kind of been kind of fighting with this herself and, and where she fits and stuff. And so then this is kind of forcing the head, right? Like this is going to make her have to kind of deal with it or, or to come up with a solution, which uh, to me, man, I thought this was just perfectly played. Um, I know that it's not like a huge reveal, you know, like, uh, they, they like to have in season finales or what have you. But, um, yeah, this was really good, I thought. I don't know if we covered this in the season review, but uh, there is some cursing and swearing early on in this episode. And um, I don't know if we really tackled it yet. Did we? Yes, we did, actually. Um, when we did our Lower Decks um recap review of season one we specifically talked about our thoughts on the swearing in lower decks versus the swearing in picard and discovery and for those of you that haven't listened to that what are you doing make sure you go and download that right away uh, but also i think the conclusion that we came to that we were a lot softer and a lot more forgiving for lower decks than we were with the live action and i think that we kind of had a two-pronged thought which was that in Lower Decks, they actively bleep it out, which softens it a little bit. Um, and then the second part of it was just the fact that it's a comedy, it's animated, and it is also the lower ranking official. So it's kind of like, it's not the captain, it's not the admiral, the second officer, or anything. It's the lower deck people. And I think that everybody can appreciate that, you know, when you work in a factory, everybody curses down on the floor, but up in the offices and the management stuff, it's probably not the proper thing to do during like business meetings and stuff. And I think that was kind of the conclusion that we had. Um, have your thoughts changed? changed on that now that you've had a couple of months to stew no no i think uh usually it helps with the humor and uh it's a different series it has a different tone it has a different feel and it focuses on different people so um yeah i have no problem with them cranking up the cursing a little bit more yeah, to be honest with you, I don't necessarily think they need it. Uh, it doesn't bother me. I don't think that they need to do it, really. Um, it, it's one of those things where on this show, it fits better for the reasons I just explained. It really bothers me in Picard and Discovery, but I don't really want to kind of hamper on, on those t shows too, too much. Um, but yeah, this, this gets the pass for me. I thought that it was maybe worth mentioning again, just because... They kind of take their, their spots. It's always kind of frustration swearing. It's not just for the sake of it, which I do appreciate. Yeah, I can get on, I can get on board with that. Now, on to your favorite topic, uh, aside from matte paintings, the intro um, and the animation uh, in this show. You want to gush about the <laughs> the, the intro? Yeah, I, I worry <laughs> that we maybe are just going... This might be a bit of a gush fest, but... I the animation is just so good and um when I watched this back uh when it was in the original run um for a variety of reasons I kind of had to watch it like on a computer uh but now I've got it all set up to like my big screen TV like high definition and I mean it's even better than what I remembered it to be like this is kind of my favorite animation style I think like I think if I had to choose um, it would be 
it would look just like this. Like it's just so good. Um, and that introduction again, I don't necessarily want to kind of gush the whole time, but oh my goodness gracious me, that has to be one of my favorite, uh, introductions. Uh, the music just kind of tickles your nostalgic bones or what have you. The imagery is, is funny. And I mean, it's one of those things where like those jokes could get old, You've seen this now 10 times, right? But, I mean, the Cerritos turning around and driving away from the Borg, like, I just don't think that would ever get old. That is just so uh, smartly done. And, yeah, like, this is just great stuff. If they ever come out with a, like, model kit of the Cerritos, and if I were to build one, I would have it with that, like, little, like, space monster slug thing attached to the warp engine. I love that. I think that is absolutely hilarious. And you'll be you'll be happy to know that I don't usually skip this intro. Yes, I don't. I think that all Star <laughs> Trek, you should be watching the intros. Um, this one is, yeah, like it's got to be one of the best. Yeah, it's a it's a great intro. I I I, I actually do watch it. So that should tell you something. Now, uh, getting back to the episode, so we uh we have this like. I don't know if it was a brand new ship or if it was like refurbished or redone in the inside, but um, I I loved all the jokes here. I think it's it's like the sister ship to Cerritos, but it's like brand new. Yeah, but the number was like start was like one two something, which is like way 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 lower than the Cerritos. Oh, okay. So I feel like maybe it was like redone or something. Maybe they had the interiors repainted or something. I don't think it really matters because the jokes still are good, right? Like there's the the captain's like sitting in the chair and she's like, who peeled the plastic <laughs> off the control panel? Cause you know, every time you buy something new with a screen that has that little plastic on it and then it zooms out and they're all wearing socks. They're not wearing shoes. And it was, it, it's so, there's so many like standard new ship or new car jokes there. It was pretty clever. I thought. Yeah. And actually, um, again, I think that people may think that we are slightly hypocritical or at least me, but I love this first shot and I usually hate big swoopy camera angles, but basically it opens up on a red ship with the, the name and the, and the number identification and then you get kind of this weird like bucket dumping motion and it's actually the ship isn't red it's just that they're coming up to like a, a red giant star or something and it's the reflection off of it um i have always ripped on discovery and picard for like those weird camera movements but this looked really beautiful and i actually really liked that shot of uh, seeing the ship for the first time and the fact that it was all red in the star glow. Um, I thought that looked really cool, actually. Uh, yeah, it was a, it, it's a little bit more tolerable when it's animated because I don't think your like stomach is rumbling as much when you do those weird camera moves with an animated show. It was, not, it was a pretty decent opening shot, yeah. I, I kind of like that they made it look red even though it wasn't red. But anyways, so this ship... It gets like totally roasted by this weird giant ship. And did you notice that when the sh the, the ship exploded, it, I, I feel like that was like a ripoff of Star Trek 09. Because you know when the, the Romulans blew up the uh, Kelvin right at the beginning, it zoomed way out and you could sort of see the giant Romulan ship and then there was the explosion. Oh, okay, good. Did you, did you notice that? I didn't notice it, but now that you're saying it, I could totally see that. 
Are you surprised they blew up a ship in a comedy show? Uh, a little bit. Like, I, I was kind of glad that they didn't go for, like, the dark humor of, of, like, seeing the crew members, like, burning alive or something or seeing, like, you know, bodies floating through space or something. Um, it was a little bit ominous uh, just because, like you said, they zoom it out and you can kind of see this massive ship and it's, like, in the void of space and it blows up. Um, I think that because they don't linger on it, it's not a big deal, but I was actually kind of surprised. Yeah. Uh, I thought that they would maybe do something where they went to the escape pods or something, but uh, as on the whole, I thought that this was a good way to kind of separate that. You know what? Like this is a comedy show, but there's a little bit of seriousness here. At least that's how I felt. Yeah. It definitely gave you a sense that there was some ominous, you know, giant ship that was up to no good. You definitely got that sense after that after that scene. Now we uh, we move on to back to the Cerritos and we sort of get Tendi and Rutherford. They kind of have these like separate storylines and they both sort of get set into motion. So Tendi is assigned to be an orientation officer for a new uh, a new member of the crew that turns out to be an exocom, yeah. which I thought was kind of an interesting callback to a previous episode. And then Rutherford has this like weird is like cybernetic thing is. I don't know if it was malfunctioning or if it was supposed to do this, but he was like, you know, he pressed the button and it cycled through all these, you know, silly different types of personalities. So there was like the, you know, overly optimistic and, uh, and so on. Like, wasn't there one that was like uh, British? British, sassy. Yeah, there was all kinds of different ones. Yeah. There. <laughs> I thought, uh, I thought both of these stories that we sort of got started here were both pretty, pretty funny. And I thought Tendy is like the perfect over-enthusiastic, eager-to-please orientation officer. Like, that's, like, she was born for that. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of, like, <laughs> uh, remember when you were in school, they did, like, the Frosh Week, and they always had, like, those TA guys that, like, lived in the the dorm rooms that were, like, only a couple of years older than you, but they were, like, going to be way more responsible for some reason. That's kind of what I feel like Tendi is doing in this one, and the fact that it's an exocomp is just hilarious. Um, the Rutherford storyline, I feel like that could have been in any episode. Um, I felt like maybe they just needed something for him to do. That one, I, I think it was kind of funny, but it was, I mean, not as good as the other stuff that was going on. And I don't think that it really factored in that much to the episode. It was just kind of like, well, he's got to have something on the go for this episode, and this is what it'll be. Uh, but yeah, the Tendy stuff I absolutely loved. Uh, and the fact that like we learned that exocomps have now, like I guess, gained sentience, and they now can enlist in Starfleet, and they paint them the color of the like thing uniform. the uniform they're gonna be uh <laughs> yeah i that's great man that's super funny and unexpected too i mean the, i remember the first time i saw that I, I laughed at that for sure yeah i mean that's a pretty deep cut because it's like one episode where the exocomps appear so that's that it's like the it's like we you know i mentioned in the season review rogue danar they they mentioned right that's a pretty deep cut too so yeah these it's pretty obvious that you know mike mcmahon and his team they know star trek inside and out uh, they prove it over and over again. Yeah, and they do a good job of picking like things that people maybe not remember specific, but I mean anybody who's watched the Next Generation or original series or what have you, I mean this is something that comes up a lot too, right? Sentient computers, or uh, you know, there's been episodes where it wasn't the Exocomp, but it was like the nano computers that Wesley Crusher made for his science project. And like, it, even if you didn't know this exact thing, you can at least understand like, oh look, that now one's going to enlist in Starfleet, which is really funny. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very, 
Very good stuff, yeah. Uh, so the, the other sort of half of it is that Mariner and uh, Boimler are both sort of vying for this promotion. And uh, there's a hilarious scene where they go to see uh, Ransom, the Commander Ransom, the Mimbo, uh, as I like to refer to him as. And he's in his quarters. He's, you know, pumping iron and doing his exercises. And they're both sort of like, you know, trying to woo his uh, attention to get this promotion. And uh, he's like, I, I can't think until I'm done all my working out and all this. Go away. And it was, I, I love this whole Ransom being this, you know, uh, as we been referring to him as as a is a mimbo they cram a lot into this episode actually it's almost like uh, it's like watching like saturday night live like each little kind of chunk is almost like its own sketch kind of thing or something and it's just it's very fast uh fast firing fast hitting i even had to check actually at the end of this episode for some reason i thought that this episode was longer than the regular uh, episodes in the series. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh, maybe it's actually shorter. And I went and I checked the time. It's, it's basically the same as all the rest, but it's just so fast and, and so furious that I feel like it just zips by. Uh, and the runtime just, I mean, man, I, maybe because you're just gobbling it up. But yeah, it just flew by for me. Yeah, one thing I've read recently as like a criticism of the show is that they like try to cram too much into an episode. Like someone on a message board was like, well, they're just taking a 45 minute show and putting it into 25 minutes. And I, I don't know if that's quite true. I mean, I do find that the series does move at a pretty rapid pace, but I don't find it difficult to follow or too fast to follow. I would say that sadly it's 2020 when this came out, 2021 that we're talking right now. I don't think that people have the attention span for some of the older slower trek and i see it in myself to be honest with you when i watch original series i have a hard time sitting and watching it through in full the next generation voyager and deep space nine is is kind of like perfect for me unless it's a bad episode and then i find it slow uh enterprise i find slow a lot of the time uh, but if it's a good episode, not so much. And then I find that like Discovery and Picard is too fast for me anyway, um, especially Discovery. Like I, I think that it's, it's it's way too quick. I can't really follow it, and it's just way too flashy. Uh, for me, I would say that this is, is still in the range of good. Um, I would say that this is kind of perfect in terms of pacing. Yeah, it is. It is a bit dizzying at times, but I don't. I generally don't find it to be all that bad. Um, because it is entertaining and it's and it's funny, right? And I mean, if you go back and watch The Simpsons or um, South Park and some of these other Family Guy, I think is maybe the worst for this. Like they move pretty quick too. And yeah, and I mean, I think it's sort of the nature of this kind of comedy is that it, it does move fast and it, I don't think it really is just, you know, a bad thing. Honestly, man, go back and compare it to that episode, The Pirates of Orion that we did from the animated series. And we talked about how slow that was. They're the same length. Well, we, I think with those ones, it's like it, it crawls for 21 <laughs> minutes and then it just goes to warp 9.975 for the last four minutes. Right, yeah. And I think I would just rather it be at a consistently higher pace than to crawl and crawl and crawl and then jump into turbo speed for the, to you know, just to get the last ending in yeah i would agree with that 100 percent. all right back to the episode so the cerritos finds the wreckage of the the solvang which was the ship at the beginning that got completely obliterated and they uh 
you know, they get attacked by the same ship and those little arm grapple thingies grab onto it and, you know, things are, are not looking good and, you know, it like cuts to commercial. You know, are, are you like, you know, devastated and, and you know what I always read at this point? Yeah, I always hate when they they wreck the ship or they blow up the ship uh, because this one doesn't get blown up. I'm going to give it like the a OK. Um, I do have a pension for the Cerritos, though. I, I definitely feel for uh, for it when they kind of break off the, the one to sell. Um, they make it definitely seem like this is bad news. And, you know, whatever the situation is going to be, it's uh, it's going to, you know, kind of go bad here. Uh, this would have been, I mean, I didn't watch it with commercials because I have it on a streaming service. But, yeah, this would be a great uh, cliffhanger for uh, for a commercial break, right? And, uh, yeah, really good job. And I did, I did like, I, I didn't piece together who it would be. Um, and so the fact that it's just kind of this big hunkling ship, it reminds me of Star Trek Nemesis. It reminds me of uh, Star Trek 09, right? Like the big super ship and who's going to be behind it, the big mystery. I think it's really good. So we come back from commercial and we find out, you know, the ship is all in shambles. Everyone's all thrown against the, the floor. And we find out that it is a, a cannibalized pack led ship. And we all know the packlets from the Samaritan Snare, the sort of dim-witted, hefty, overweight aliens. And if you look really carefully, like the middle part of it actually does look like the original Packled ship. Oh, cool. So yeah, we find out it's the Packleds, who we haven't seen in a long time. Another deep cut. So anyways, they, uh, they need a crazy plan, you know. No one's going to expect that's, you know completely uh, against regulations and, and is completely against all reason and logic. And uh, Mariner devises this plan. They're going to use like a, a computer virus because, you know, the packlets are not that smart and they use all these different components. So they have like a, a computer system that I guess is vulnerable to viruses. And, you know, Rutherford gets his old friend Badgie, who we, we see earlier on, who I think was a pretty popular uh, little silly character to pull it off. So uh, what, did, what did you think of this zany plan to, to, you know, get them out of this seemingly impossible situation? Well, I, this to me is kind of like when people say that, you know, maybe it moves too quickly. I think that one thing that may be lost is just how brilliantly done this is. Because like to kind of go off the first part here, Mariner is going to use a virus to infect the pack lead ship and I, I guess just shut it down or blow it up or something which we, I think, have seen in every series. Rutherford going back and using Badgie because he can't do it in time and because Badgie is so evil and a computer uh, program uh, is another genius stroke, in my opinion. Uh, I think that that makes perfect sense. It, it really speaks to the desperation, the fact that they're going to go to this murderous... Uh, hollow creature or hollow uh, animated thing in order to do it. And the fact that he already has like three geared up as soon as he asks them for all the different levels of command or what have you is really good. Because he's always monitoring the comms. That's exactly it. Yeah. Like it's very, and again, that ties back to like Vic Fontaine and Moriarty who had like, they were always kind of uh, more aware than the other holodeck programs. Right. And then the last part of it is that they're going to send in peanut hamper, who is uh, the exocomp uh, to do it. And then in very exocomp fashion, she decides, <laughs> Oh, that seems too dangerous. 
I'm not going to do it, and you can't make me do it. So too bad, so sad. Uh, come up with a new plan. That like, there's so many things there, and I can see how maybe that's too fast for people to kind of digest. But for somebody who's seen the Exocomp episode, for people who have seen lots of Star Trek, like I'm rolling with this, and I am just loving how much detail they're putting into such a small, simple, chaotic little part of the episode. Well, if you remember, like part of the whole episode with the exocomps was that they didn't want to do this dangerous thing. Right, yeah. Right? That they were supposed to be programmed to do. And they became sort of self-aware and said, no, we're not doing this. Too bad. And Peanut Hamper essentially does the exact same thing. They say, yeah, you can, you can take the virus over to the ship and, and you'll save the day. And she's like, eh. Yeah, nah. no, no, thanks. I, I didn't she say something like I joined, I just joined Starfleet to like piss off my parents and then like <laughs> yeah. beams away. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, no, I was. You're right. There are a lot of lot, you know, details there that are very, very good. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that they could have written this any better, to be honest. Now, in in sort of amidst all this, the Packlids decide to board the ship, and like you say, they have these giant helmets and they got these big axes and they're you know wreaking havoc on the ship and uh some pretty wild fisticuffs ensue you know the crew's like you know fighting them hand to hand and and all of a sudden they're like oh we got to get uh you know peanut hamper bales and so rutherford's like well i'll just take it to the ship i can store it in my uh cybernetic implant and so you know they've got to fight their way to the shuttle bay so that shacks can can take them over to the ship and there's we get that scene where all the contraband, uh, all of Mariner's contraband, yeah. like, you know, drops from the deck, you know, the behind the deck plates. And there's all these crazy weapons. I think Boimler at one point had the, like, the fencing thing like Sulu had in uh, the... Naked <laughs> oh, Now? It was... Oh, yeah. It was... There, there's so many little things there that were just great in that whole sort of chaotic scene where they're fighting the Packlets. I mean, I would go a step further. I feel like even without the comedy bits and the nostalgic tie-in to the old Trek uh, and the fact that it's like cartoon violence, I think this is really good. Um, and I think that the action is really working here. Like I know that, you know, Boimler like swings once and just knocks the guy like right out of frame and stuff, which I mean, that's not for everybody in terms of the violence, but um, this is really good. And I like that like Shanks basically fighting an entire army of them on the pack led ship uh, while it's downloading. Like I thought that was really good as well. Um, I like that the captain gets beat up really bad and it's kind of bleeding out and Mariners got like, there's so much good stuff here. Like I thought the action, just as a whole was really good the music was very fitting and i thought that uh this is this is really great stuff even for uh a regular episode not even just a, an animated one yeah well yeah and like ransom is basically you know continuing on with this whole mimbo thing like he's fighting them all himself and he's not he doesn't even have a scratch on him at the end um yeah it was well and, and even before and and before shacks is on the packlet ship he like lifts rutherford up and like throws him over his shoulder and is like fighting guys with one hand on the way to the shuttle bay and carrying rutherford with the other and Rutherford's like hey uh i can walk like i'm fine and he's like, <laughs> no no i'm taking you with me it, it was yeah you're right like the whole this whole action sequence was um even if you sort of take the humor out of it it was actually pretty pretty intense and pretty good now the big sort of part here is that you know Rutherford is able to download the virus, even though it does the classic like it goes like immediately to ninety nine yeah. <laughs> and then it stops, and you're like, what? What are you doing? Like, keep going, keep going. It's almost done. 
And uh, but he does manage to get it downloaded. I think Badgy gave him a bit of a hard time, but he was able to sort that out. And then you know, Shaxx like sacrifices himself to get him back on the shuttle and send him back to the ship. And um, I don't know, was that maybe a bit much? Was that really necessary? Yeah, I mean, I would have probably been just as happy to have him jump on the shuttle and just drift back with the two of them surviving. But uh, I'm going to give it the let's wait and see. Let's see what happens. Uh, Season two, episode one, they might be able to make a great episode out of that character not being around or that character dying. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, fair enough. I I personally quite enjoyed Shaxx and I was not, I was kind of sad to see him have to sacrifice himself so who knows maybe he'll end up on like the genesis planet or something and he'll, he'll yes end up i could definitely and... do like a <laughs> search for shacks search for shacks that'll, that'll be season two episode one the search for shacks uh now so they they're able to disable the packlid ship and everyone you know they have this sort of moment of triumph but then three more ships appear just out of nowhere and then the titan the uss titan who is a which is the uh, the ship captain by command or Captain Riker? They jump right in, and I mean they mentioned earlier in the episode that the Titan was in the area, so it's not totally out of nowhere. And they, you know, they save the day. They phaser all the the Paclid ships, and the Paclids get all frightened, and eventually they they turn around and fly away, and everything's good. Titan saves the day. Uh, yeah. So I mean, kind of first off, I've got a couple things. Um. How much stronger is the Titan than the Cerritos? I would imagine a fair bit. Okay. Because they definitely make it seem like they have no trouble at all here. <laughs> they, just, they just blast in. I would also say, just from this is just me speaking, not Matt. The Titan swooping in to save the day and the, the next generation music blaring in the background. You know, Will Riker, you know, barking orders and, and Deanna Troy is the first officer or the counselor i'm not sure um i think that that was more impactful and more badass than anything that we got in picard and i think that as awesome as this was as amazing as this was there definitely is a tinge in the back of my throat of like oh this is what we should have seen in picard not what we got or at least that's how i feel what are your thoughts on that matt having the next generation or what i mean technically it's the motion picture but i mean it's the same it doesn't matter we it's the music that we associate with i think that most people would associate with Riker being a next generation character and yeah it would, like it's it's very um it's it's very fitting with like you know a, a ship coming to the aid of another ship in the in the you know 11th hour when they're about to get blown up it just oh yeah the the, the music is very triumphant yes exactly that's a good that's a good word to put it yeah no, I, I thought that having that music play was, was great. Now, when you compare this to when Riker shows up in the last episode of Picard, what is your kind of feeling in terms of like an emotional reaction? Well, there there wasn't much of one in Picard. I mean, I don't really remember what sort of music was playing as they warped in, but... Well, what does that tell you, though? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, that's sort of what I'm saying here. Like, this is, this is impactful, and it, it's something that you remember. I, I feel like this seemed like not the comedy episode whereas the picard one seemed like more of the comedy when Riker was like couldn't even be bothered to get up out of the chair and was like you got to turn your romulan butt and drive right back to romulus or whatever like that was so cheesy and lame like 
that seemed like something out of like a cringe comedy. Whereas like this almost had me like pumping my fist, like, yeah, come in Titan, like blast those guys. Um, this to me anyway, just felt like the exact kind of uh, coda that you would want to an action packed episode. Uh, and, and to me, I thought it was just really, really well done. Like written by somebody who really gets, you know, space battles and the excitement is really not from like the blasts and the, the lasers. It's actually from the emotional part of, of the, you know, the swoop in, if you will. Here's an interesting comparison. Do you remember in return of the Jedi when they assault the death star and the shield is still up and they're all like, Oh no, we're done. And then, and then later on when they actually do disable the shield, you know, the, the, they tell Lando that the shield's down and he's like, He's, you know, he tells all the ships to follow him and he turns to the, the co-pilot and he's like, I told you they'd do it. And he's all he's all smiley and all excited. And, and it's kind of the same thing. Like, that's a line that I'll always remember from Return of the Jedi because he was just so thrilled and happy that. Yeah. And I, it's all about emotion. Right. And I mean, using that same analogy, I feel like when they're going and they're like they're going to attack the Death Star. Right. And then he's like. Oh yeah, don't worry. They're gonna have the shields down, like no big deal, right? And then uh, was the guy's co-pilot Subu or Sulu or something like that? His name is, um, and he's like blah 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 blah. And Lando goes, "Well, how, how can they be jamming us if they don't know?" And then there's like that gr- that reality, and then it's like you as the audience member, like you have that pit in your stomach too, where you're like, "Oh crap!" Like they're going right into. It. He's like, "Pull up." Their shields are up. Like that's like you you feel it rather than just seeing it, right? Um, and I feel like that that's the same thing I have here when it swoops in and Boyne was like, "It's the Titan." It's like, oh yes, here we go. Like we we all us nerds anyway. We know like, <laughs> oh, it's gonna be Riker during this era, and it's gonna be badass, right? So um, I think that maybe Jonathan Frakes maybe hammed it up a little bit, but I don't mind it so much because it's a comedy episode, right? Oh, he totally hammed it up. That was something I was going to mention later on. Yeah, <laughs> it was like Riker to dialed up to eleven. So um, yeah, so they 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 return back to uh, you know the base, and there's a bit of a party on the Cerritos, and we get a, a bit more of an extended scene with with Riker and Troy, and Riker's is you know gregarious and outgoing and usual self, and you know Troy is psychoanalyzing everyone, and like I said, and you mentioned this as well, you know they they, they kind of take it a little bit to the extreme but i think it's fitting because it's a it's a cartoon and it's a it's a comedy show yeah and i mean i definitely like this bar scene when they're in the dry dock because it's something we've seen before uh we've seen it in the movies we've seen it in the tv shows maybe i i feel like i i we've seen this where the ship is is docked and, and we we get like uh either they're on the station and the ship is in the background or vice versa um, yeah, this is all good. And I also like that as much as the Cerritos is a low end ship, there is some familiarity between the characters because Ransom seems to know Deanna Troy from something. And, uh, Riker knows, uh, Mariner from, from a past thing as well. So, um, I do kind of like that. And, uh, I, I don't know if that's something that's going to come up in the future, but I think it plants the seed for some interesting things as well. Yeah. And I think Riker knew, knew, uh, the new Freeman as well. Cause remember right at the beginning, he's like, Carol, and gives her the big bear hug. And also remember that her husband, a Mariner's father, is an admiral, so maybe that, that's part of it as well. Um, yeah, this is good, and I, I do like that this whole thing kind of ends up being a bit of a, 
uh, you know, it all kind of goes in reverse in the sense that uh, Boimler ends up getting promoted ahead of Mariner. Um, and then not only that, he doesn't end up going to the sack. He ends up going to the Titan, which I wasn't expecting at all. Um, this was very shocking to me. I mean, you can talk about whether you like it or not, but I definitely was shocked. That's for sure. One thing I just would say, remember the, all those messages that Mariner sent him? Like, because she was like super pissed off at him. Did you catch the one where she was like, I'm going to feed you to an Armus? Uh, and did not. Is that like skin of evil? Like he's going to take him and yeah. put him in the black pit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give yeah, him I the Tashi was... R treatment. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, him getting promoted, Boimler getting promoted was not expected at all. And having him go to the Titan was not expected at all. Like that totally caught me off guard and hey you know what it, it it provides some intrigue for you know season two and and gives you a reason to tune in to find out what happens to him in season two one of my kind of takeaways on the season as much as i've been gushing and i absolutely love this episode and i loved this first season of lower decks i really hope that they erase this um in, in my opinion i feel like by the time season two episode one is over like I would like to see Boimler back on the Cerritos, back as a, a lonely ensign. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that Boimler is going to return to the Cerritos in the most hilarious way you can possibly imagine. Like, it's going to be funny regardless, like, who knows what it's going to be, but it's going to be hilarious, I'm sure of it. So, you know, maybe they do that on purpose to give themselves an opportunity to, to write a really funny way of a guy getting demoted. All right, on to the cast and characters. Um, Riker and Troy appear in this, as we already mentioned. Um, I mean, I we, we already kind of talked about this a little bit, but if they were a little bit over the top, do you think it was too much or just enough? Uh, I, I mean, it was noticeably over the top, but for me, it gets the pass just because they came in in such a badass way. And we also... Uh, are in a comedy series. So I think that you have to kind of, you have to kind of let it pass. And I mean, like I, I have no problem at all with it. I think that uh, if it's perfectly fitting now, were you, would you say that they were consistent with their characters, even though it was dialed up a little bit? Cause I would say I, I have no issues with how they were in this episode as far as like the characterization. Yeah. The other thing I think that is important to remember though, is that this is actually like closer to nemesis than it is to Picard. Right. So, like, when we saw them in Picard, they were kind of older and retired. This is still kind of like Riker in his prime. Um, and it's hard to know what he would have done as a captain, right? Uh, it's not unrealistic to maybe think that, you know, get, becoming the captain made him a little bit more bolsterous, a little bit more uh, confident and all the kind of things that come with being a captain. And I think it's kind of cool to see this version of him. Uh, I think that, you know, if, if that's the way that he captains, uh, I'm all for it. I, I like it. And I, I have read uh, some of the Titan books uh, or where he shows up and stuff. And I, I don't think that it's far from what I was expecting. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I, I have no problems with Riker and Troy in, uh, in this episode. Now, let's continue on with the sort of uh, consistency of character here. Uh, were the Packlets dumb enough? <laughs> I would have liked to see them hoisted upon their own petard in the sense that I think that I would have preferred the Cerritos and their crew to maybe outsmart them or to use some sort of 
tricky wordplay or something to confuse them and, and maybe unwittingly letting them go or blowing themselves up. I think that that would be a better way of going about it, but I'm not necessarily against it. I did love that uh, they thought that every ship was the Enterprise. <laughs> and then when the Titan rolled in, oh no, another Enterprise. That was pretty funny. Um, and they also had a nice little uh, a nice little tie back to, to the original uh, Samaritan Sarah episode. Uh, when the Titan comes in, uh, I think he said, remember they said, make us go. Um, there was a point where they actually cut back and they say, let us go, which I thought was kind of a nice little tie back to that episode. But yeah, I mean, I would have liked him a little dumber, but I'm not mad about it. I think it's still good. I think they talked the right way though. Cause they were like, we will take your ship pieces and add them to our ship pieces. Then we will have all the ship pieces. Like that's pretty much how they talk. Yeah. That was really good. Uh, yeah. It would have been nice to have seen them outsmart them a little bit more because they are really supposed to be these dim witted, uh, aliens. But, uh, I thought the way, like, you know, them speaking and how they talked, I thought was pretty much spot on. Like that was, it was very pack led of them. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so we get the return of Badgie. Uh, I was not a huge fan of Badgie. I thought it was a bit silly and a bit gimmicky, but, um, were you happy to see Badgie make a return appearance after his murderous rampage? Yeah, actually that Badgie episode was one that I wasn't like, I, I was one of my least favorite of the season. Um, and I actually find Jack McBriar, who he's on that show 30 Rock. I don't know if you've watched that or not, but um, he, he's really funny in small doses, but it can get like a bit much. Uh, and I feel like this was a much better use of Badgie. Uh, and I actually am wondering if maybe it's just that particular actor, like in small doses, it works really nicely. But that episode where it was all about Badgie, it was t- kind of too much. Um, in this episode, I thought that it was kind of a fun callback and it really spoke to how desperate they were. So I think that it was pretty good. It was much better than the other episode that he was in. Yeah, it was a bit, it was definitely more tolerable because it was like you say, a bit of a smaller dose. I did like when he, I already mentioned this line when he was like, I'm always monitoring the comms. Like it's just so creepy and so, you know, cringy, but, but I don't mean that like cringy, like bad cringy. I mean, cringy, like, Oh my God, I can't believe someone's doing that. Yeah. I, I thought he was okay. Like I thought Badgie was okay in this. I didn't really, I, I liked it more than the previous episode because it was a little bit more subdued. Uh, last the one that I was going to mention is Peanut Hamper. We already talked about how the callback uh, to the you know Next Generation episode with the exocomps. And we also talked about how she completely bailed at the critical moment, which I thought was, was good. From the time she arrived on the ship to the time that she bails, like, you know, there's some interesting moments like where when she's in, you know, struggling with you know picking up the tools and stuff, uh, but then finds her calling in in sick bay when she, you know she's helping the the doctor with the surgery. Did that pique your interest at all, or was that just sort of like filler? Yeah, I mean, I didn't think that uh, I didn't think that peanut hamper was funny per se, but I thought that it set up funny bits. And I think maybe that's kind of was the point. Like she was almost like the straight man or the straight character. Um, and so for that, I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of mood on it. I did like how I did like how it ended. I don't know that I liked the final stinger where they showed her floating through space. I didn't think that was necessary for the sake of one second. I feel like they probably could have just cut that. But other than that, it was pretty good. I think it was worth it just for that critical moment where Peanut Hamper's just like, you know what, guys, I'm out of here. See ya. 
I thought that was a pretty, yeah, that was a pretty funny uh, little bit of a gag, I suppose. Uh, just a couple of quick uh, production notes. This is the first canonical, and you know I hate that word, but I will use it nonetheless, canonical appearance of the USS Titan. So basically the first time we've seen it on screen in an official show. Uh, you mentioned the Titan novel series, which um, I've read a, a number of those novels, and uh, the ship appears on the cover of um, a few of them. And it was actually, I don't know if you know this or you read about this, but it was designed by a fan. The, uh, the publishing company actually had a contest where fans could submit designs and they would choose one and that would be the, the official design of the Titan. And they actually stuck with it in the, uh, in the episode. So that's kind of interesting. Really cool, man. It's the kind of stuff that we talk about all the time, how Star Trek used to be so much more connected to the fans than it kind of feels like now uh, with the write-in episodes and everything. The fact that this was designed by a fan and that there's some Star Trek nerd out there who can say that that's his design up there on the screen and everything uh, is really cool. And uh, I'm glad that they left it the same. Uh, I think that if they had changed it, it would have just been pointlessly upsetting people for no real reason other than just to do it. So I was glad that they left it the same. I, for one, as a reader of the Titan series, would have been writing an angry letter for sure if they <laughs> switched it up. Uh, how far into the series have you gotten? Uh, well, so I've actually only read the first Titan book series, but um, the uh, that Borg trilogy uh, that we both read, um, uh, the Descent series, I guess it was, has the Titan in it as well. It's kind of... Uh, it pops in periodically and stuff like that. So I, I mean, I have some some knowledge of the Titan and and their and her crew, but yeah, I've only read really the first one. So I, I I definitely need to kind of get back into that. But so many books, so little time. Well, yeah, that's a rabbit hole you might never find the bottom of if you if you dive headlong into the Star Trek novel world. I I found that out myself. Uh, any memorable scenes or or lines that uh, made you laugh or or that you wrote down? Well, I have a whole bunch here, so I just want to kind of burn through them quickly. I guess I should only mention the ones that I didn't see or say during the episode. The first one is kind of just a throwaway line, but at one point somebody says Captain Freeman Day, uh, implying that perhaps that, you know, Captain Picard Day is for the Enterprise and the Toritos would eventually have a Captain Freeman Day, which I thought was really good. I thought that the guy who thought that Wolf 859 was an inside job was really funny. Uh, he also felt like the Dominion War didn't happen, which, uh, again, uh, in current day with, you know, all the craziness that happens in the world and the anti-vaxxers and the anti-maskers or, and everything else, I thought that that was very fitting and very funny. I, I liked Oh No, It's Another Enterprise. Uh, and, uh, something that I had forgot about, uh, and we should have probably mentioned it, uh, but it was really funny is when Riker gets back to, uh, the, uh, the Titan and he's like, Oh, sorry, I'm late. I was just watching some enterprise stuff, uh, in the holodeck. Uh, those guys took a long time getting from there to here. That's maybe a little like across the bow, uh, but I definitely laughed. And for a comedy show, that is something that I guess I, ha- I have to give a uh, tip of the hat to. For those of you who can't see, I'm ripping my hair out as you say that. <laughs> Just so you guys know. And what about uh, when 
he goes to uh, go to warp and he says five, six, seven, eight uh, in terms of the warp factor. I thought that that was pretty funny as well. But my favorite line is actually a ransom line, which is I'm setting my fists to stun and my kicks to kill. Now, that's a great line. Well, you've stolen two of my three. Oh, OK. Maybe I shouldn't have, <laughs> I shouldn't have grinded through them all, should I? have? Well, yeah, the, 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 the ransom line that you just mentioned, I thought that was absolutely hilarious. I laughed rather loudly at that one. And yeah, you mentioned when War- when Riker is, is giving the order to go to warp, he says, "Give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> and then and then Troy's like, "Oh no, the jazz!" And you know she's like sort of covering her her ears, and and I thought that was hilarious as well. Uh, the other line that I wrote down that you didn't mention um, <laughs> was when the just as the exocomp was about to bail, she goes, "Sucks to be organic," <laughs> as she's beaming away. I thought that was hilarious. So yeah, those those would be mine. Those are the ones that stick out uh, or stuck out to me uh, watching this episode. Uh, I guess we're sort of right at the end here. So uh, sum up your uh, your final thoughts for me, Andrew, on the ep- on no small parts, and uh, give me a rating out of five starship pieces. Oh man, this show is so good. It's just the absolute uh, epitome of a Star Trek nerd's dream. Uh, I think that it, it it tickles you in all the right spots. It scratches you in all the itchy spots. It's just such a well-written, funny show. Uh, and they did such a go- good job with the first season as a whole, but even more so with kind of wrapping it up with a nice little bow here. Uh, the guest stars were great. The, the jokes were great. The lines were great. The action was great. It looked great. The whole thing was great. What can I say, man? I think it's got to be five starship pieces. Five out of five. So you got the whole massive ship put together. <laughs> yes, I do. Well, that's that's a formidable uh, opponent here. We'll see how we'll see how many pieces mine has. We talked for over an hour when we did our season review about just how great this series was, or season was uh, as a whole. And I mean, this episode, I think, pretty much has all the great stuff that we talked about. Like we we talked about a couple of deep cuts that we saw here that are that are you know star trek fans are gonna go nuts over um and they do it in but we talked about how they do it in a way that maybe if you haven't seen it it's still pretty funny and i thought they did a very good job of that in this episode and throughout the season um you mentioned the guest stars were great Riker and troy were great uh seeing the titan was fun seeing the packlets was fun uh everything that this about this episode was was really good i mean the only thing that sort of was kind of subpar was maybe peanut hamper her sort of storyline but there was a payoff at the end that was worth it so i'm gonna uh match your uh five starship pieces with five of my own uh it was a great episode and uh our, our two giant starships uh with all the, each with five pieces will will battle it out and um whichever one of us survives will uh will be around for the next podcast make me go make us strong Oh, I think I hear the red alert siren, which means we're drawing near the end of the podcast. So um, I'm going to reach deep in the official Star Trek helmet of episodes, and I'm going to draw a fresh new one for Andrew, and he's going to have one minute to tell me everything he can about the episode in question. Andrew, what are you uh, thinking here? You got any hopes or dreams for what what I draw out? I think that I would like something that I haven't gotten, but you have gotten uh, quite a number of times, actually. You have been lucky enough 
to either get uh, season finales or season premieres. Uh, obviously, even in this season, you just had no small parts. But I also feel like, didn't you have Emissary at one point? Um, and I think you maybe had a, a Voyager episode that was a first episode as well. So, um, you know what? That is my hope for myself, is I would like a little season premiere, a little season finale. But Well, I think we've got the exact opposite of what you are hoping <laughs> for here. Uh, I we've, we've got an episode here. It is from Deep Space Nine. It is season five, episode 14. Oh, right in the middle. So right in the middle. And the title of the episode is In Purgatory's Shadow. So while Andrew sees what he can remember from In Purgatory's Shadow and writes furiously what he can, uh, what he can remember, don't forget to check out Hollow Sweet Media, where we currently reside. You can find all kinds of goodies there. We're also all over social media, Twitter, Instagram. We got a Facebook group all over the place. So check us out. Andrew's still still working here. Okay, I think I have something, but I might, I could be wrong. Okay, uh, you ready to go? Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right then, you sound very confident. I have 30 or 60 seconds on the clock and your time begins now. All right, this is an Odo flashback episode uh, from when he was working on Terok Nor. Uh, for some reason, Kira and Sisko and Garrick find themselves uh, on the station during like the occupation. Uh, it's not really clear as to like why they are back in that time period for some reason. Uh, and Odo is a very different character at the time. He's kind of more like the ruthless cop. He's uh, definitely not the one that they know, and he's kind of doing some deeds for the Cardassians. Uh, so anyway, Kira has a little bit of inside information, and Garrick has some inside information, which allows them to kind of gain access to uh, parts that are not imprisoned, and so they eventually kind of uh, confront Odo, and uh, it turns out that Odo kind of like put a guy to an execution that he shouldn't have been doing and then this kind of revelation gets brought back to current time and Odo has to deal with the fact that uh, he probably shouldn't have done that at the time all right that is one minute I don't know man this is a very generic -y kind of title uh, I know that you know the episode that I'm thinking of uh, but I don't know that that's the right one. I know it's around this time period, uh, but I, I'm not 100% confident that, uh, that I've got it this time. If you got the right one, then you're, you did a pretty good job because, yeah, that's a pretty, uh, pretty good description of the one that you're thinking of and the one that I know you're thinking of. <laughs> so we'll hope that it's the right one. Indeed. And if not, then we'll have an entirely different thing to talk about in two weeks' time. Um, Deep Space Nine has been kind to me, so hopefully that means that the, it will continue, uh, but uh, it can swing back the other way as, as well. So. It certainly could be. Deep Space Nine in the middle years was quite interesting, to say the least. Uh, well, thanks a lot for joining us this uh, this edition of Random Trek Review, and uh, join us in two weeks' time, where we will discuss uh, In Purgatory's Shadow. Bye-bye, everybody. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek review podcast.
for the first time ever, this is a breakthrough moment, okay? You ready? Oh, gosh, okay. Can I swear? Yes. I give a shit about one of the characters, which oh, is nice. Well. Because I don't normally. Which character do you give a shit about? O'Brien. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I thought it was mighty decent of him what he did, and he knew that he could have gotten in trouble, and he seems quite a loyal person to have aboard your space station. He's a decent ship. guy. Yeah. He's Irish. Um, yeah. A lot of Irish people are decent guys. I haven't met that many Irish people. I met loads. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek Review Podcast. Okay, well, it's one of those things where, like, you would expect, like, as medical history gets better and everything, like, life expectancy gets longer, just like we've experienced in our own kind of world and planet, right? Like, it's way better now than it was 50 years ago versus 100 versus 200, so. Versus 5,000 years ago where you'd be lucky to live to, like, 30? Yeah, exactly. We'd already be done and dusted, my friend. Well, or we'd be super old. Right, we'd be like the village elders. <laughs> Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Ladies Trek Library, a podcast by women with a passion for Star Trek books. The author of this book, Dana Kramer Rolls, this is the only Star Trek book she's ever written, which would explain why I've never okay. read anything from her before. Yeah, I heard that she did write some other sci-fi books, but no other Star Trek. Yeah. And she does seem like like she's a fan. It seems, from the way she handled the characters, I I would say she is a fan of Star Trek. Yeah, I definitely got the feeling that she was a fan um, and knew the characters. She has a PhD in folklore and history of religions. Cool. So that makes sense. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.